This is The Rooted Podcast, a conversation about the Christian worldview and its implications for every part of life. The Rooted Podcast is hosted by Steve Royce and Brady Johnson. Together, they have over two decades of experience in the business and tech industries and share a desire to help others filter all of life through the Christian faith. Thanks for listening to the Rooted Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Brady. And on this episode, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the omni attributes of God that is, omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. Nice. So I have had a conversation with, with Brady leading into this whole doctrinal focus. And part of our discussion has been that I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of run with setting up the the fruit snacks and picking doctrines and taking a look at those each week. And from those, anything as Brady goes through and listens and we dialogue about the fruit snacks episodes, anything that sort of piques his interest or that he determines, you know, I either have questions about this personally, or I think a lot of people will have questions about this. Or this is just something I want to know more about, or I feel like there's more discussion to be had here. He's going to kind of compile a bunch of different thoughts, questions, insights from the fruit snacks, and then we're going to use this time to go deeper and to have a conversation about whatever is on Brady's mind or anything like that, because if Brady's wondering about it or if he has questions about it, he's probably not the only person in the world. And so we just kind of want to record these conversations between us. And for, for the time being anyway, that's going to be the format for the long form rooted podcast. It's going to be a deeper dive into various fruit snacks topics And so you're going to get the most out of these if you're listening to Fruit Snacks. And you're also going to get the most out of Fruit Snacks if you listen to these. Yeah. So they go hand in hand in that way. Yeah. And I'll also add that if there are any Fruit Snacks that you guys are listening to that you want us to do a deeper dive, if we don't have that scheduled, uh, you know, it's something that we uh, certainly would like your input as well. Uh, It could add to some of those questions that I might ask. Uh, So make sure you shoot us over a message on uh, one of the social medias or over email. Yeah. Hit us up at podcast at rooted dot productions, or you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram. All right, Brady. So hit me. I have no idea what you're going to ask me. So <laughs> this yeah. ought to be good. Yeah. So I thought uh, it'd probably be good if we start with uh, omnipotence, you know, and talk a little bit about God's, uh, you know, all, all powerful uh, capabilities. You know, I think in, in the fruit snacks, you, you talked a little bit about, some of the logical contradictions. And I just thought it'd be good if you could expand on that a little bit, talk about, you know, some of the common, I guess, contradictions really that people tend to come up with when they try and put limits on God's power. Yeah. So what, what we were talking about in the fruit snacks episode was this idea that the, the old adage of can God make a rock so big he can't lift it or can God make himself not exist and all these sort of things. They're really based on a a misunderstanding of what omnipotence is 
and omnipotence technically, and I, I think I said this definition in in the fruit snacks episode is what we mean when we say God is omnipotent is not not that God can do absolutely anything that we can conceive of, no matter how absurd or ridiculous it might be, but that all powerful simply means that God can do whatever power can do. And there are certain things that even power can't do uh, and, and logical contradictions, incoherencies, garbledygook basically would fall very firmly into that category. God can't make a square circle. That doesn't make him less powerful. That just makes him rational because it's a square circle isn't anything. That's it's just nonsense. There, there are two, uh, two words that we've thrown together, but they don't mean anything. And so these ideas about square circles or married bachelors or, you know, these oxymorons or or, uh, self-contradictory concepts are examples of something that God can't do that doesn't make him less powerful. And another thing that we looked at was that God is also limited in a way by his character. Uh, God can't sin. He can't lie. He can't, he can't do evil. And that again, doesn't make God less powerful. It just makes him good. And so God's all powerfulness is not a, is not his only attribute. And so when we talk about this, we need to balance it with respect to all of God's other attributes that yes, God is all powerful, but he's also good. And yes, he's all powerful, but he's also wise And so there are ways in which these attributes interact with each other and they place natural boundaries on each other. And that doesn't mean that uh, somehow God isn't, isn't those things. It would be like saying that just because God is merciful, he can't also be just. Well, sure he can. And there are, we see in scripture exactly how God balances those two out just because there's a natural uh, potential for tension between two attributes and God doesn't mean that there actually is a, a contradiction between those attributes. Yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned also, and I think this is a, a good, good segue, but also kind of tease up a uh, potential future conversation. Uh, but you talked about God having uh, the inability to do evil. Uh, And as a God who's all powerful, I think a common question is, why does God who's all powerful and can't do evil, why does he allow evil? Mm, Yeah. So the problem of evil is absolutely a topic for another time. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because you were there that I taught a class at our church for five weeks. Was it five weeks Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, last year on Sunday nights on the problem of evil? And in a nutshell, I'll just, you know, let the cat out of the bag here that the answer to why a good and powerful God allows evil is because God allows free will mm-hmm. that really it boils down to, to one of two things, either God can have a world with no evil or God can have free creatures. But in order to have a world with no evil, he'd have to do one of two things. He would either have to have a world in which no creatures exist at all, so he just doesn't create, or he only creates uh, inanimate objects like galaxies and planets and stars, but he doesn't he doesn't put any creatures on them, mm-hmm. 
or he creates creatures, but he doesn't give them free will. He makes them robots. And apparently, because we find ourselves in neither one of those scenarios, that God saw fit to go with the other side of that equation, and he chose to create free creatures, actually free creatures. But with freedom, if it's actually freedom, if it's real, with freedom comes the potential to abuse that freedom. And so I don't think it's an indictment against God's character that he gave his creatures free will and his creatures freely chose to abuse it. Free will in and of itself, I think most people would would say is objectively a great, great good. Mm -hmm. It's a very good thing that God did by giving us free will. And also, if you consider that God, if God's going to create creatures and wants to be in relationship with them, if those creatures don't have a choice and they can't choose freely to love him, meaning they can't also choose freely to reject him, then God's essentially just putting on a big puppet show for himself, right? Right. If they can't do other than, than whatever he wants them to do, why do it? Um, God, as I think we, we've well, actually, these are in upcoming fruit snacks, other attributes of God, but one of them is his self-sufficiency. And this whole idea that is that God didn't create because he needed us. He didn't create us because he was lonely or because there was something lacking in him. And so God's not going to create because he needs a he needs some creatures to to play with him, right? Like God is completely perfect and complete within himself. He doesn't need anyone or anything else. And so if God's going to create, it's not because of a need he has. Right. God chose to create because it was a great good for us uh, to exist, first of all, and then to be able to freely live in a loving relationship with our creator. That's for our benefit, not for God's. And so I think free will and freedom, creaturely freedom, is both the cause and the answer for why there is evil in the world. But totally agree. That's There's a lot more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other questions that have often come up that uh, we could certainly take time to answer. In fact, we might just sort of do a, do a fruit snacks and rooted podcast version of that problem of evil class and just tackle some of the same questions that, that we looked at during, uh, during those seminars. That could be good. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And, and kind of on that same thread of, of free will, um, you know, one of the common things I heard, you know, from friends and, and skeptics of, you know, this idea that, you know, God can be all powerful, all knowing yet he allows free will. I mean, I think you, you, pretty much addressed it, but you know, I just wanted to to kind of bring it up again is, you know, Mm -hmm. it is a common thought from unbelievers that by saying that we have free will, that that's somehow putting a limit on God's power or that we're, we're putting limitations on what God's capable of doing because we have the free will. Yeah. Yeah. And so God is beholden to us. Right. right? And this is where I think we get into omniscience, right? Because what you just said is absolutely true. I think that there are a lot of people who think that, and there's probably a lot of believers who think that if we really have free will, then somehow aren't, don't we have one over on God and and how does that work? And so you can go one of two directions with that. A lot of people 
if you agree with the premise that that's exactly how that's how God's foreknowledge and, and omniscience works, then you're left to go really just one of two places. The fork in the road either leads to determinism by saying that we don't actually have free will because God is so sovereign that even though we think we have free will, God actually controls and compels our decisions so that nothing that we choose or even want to choose potentially, depending on how you how you suss this out philosophically and theologically, there are people who would go that that far, that nothing that you choose or even want to choose happens without God commanding it or sovereignly making it so. And that can be pr- very problematic because then there really is no way out of saying that God is the author of sin. Mm-hmm. If, if a man, and, and this is an analogy I'm borrowing from a, a professor of mine, it's not original to me, but I'm paraphrasing it. But if a, if a man decides to go out and kidnap and torture and, and rape and kill a little girl, then not only does every single thing that he does to that girl ultimately lay at the feet of God, but even his desire to want to do that in the first place is ultimately laid at the feet of God. Because if God so organized the world that we can't do other than what we do because of his sovereignty and because of his foreknowledge, then it's it's just frankly impossible for me to to square how we are ultimately responsible for our own sin. Mm-hmm. That just that ultimately traces back to God. And God shouldn't, and I don't think does get a get out of jail free card just because he's God. If God hates sin, if God abhors evil, then making people do it or want to do it just to bring himself more glory is not a good thing. Right. I don't think that, that that somehow does not make God's character greater, even though there are those who argue that it does. I just don't, I can't get there. Right. So that's the one direction that you can go. The other direction that you can go is to say, well, if if we really do have free will, but uh, we can sort of get one over on God, then maybe God doesn't know everything mm-hmm. after all. And maybe God can be surprised by our decisions. Maybe God can be caught off guard and maybe he's not really omniscient he's just really 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 smart (laughs) and he's so smart that he can accurately predict what we're going to do almost all the time but not all the time and this is a this is actually a view held by some it's called open theism and it's this idea that god is always learning and that god is basically improving himself as time goes on and as he interacts with his creatures. And again, just just like the other idea on the one hand of determinism, I just don't see open theism as it's just not biblical. I can't get there. Um, it just doesn't square with how we see God portrayed in Scripture. It doesn't square with, frankly, prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, you would, I mean... God's been really lucky so far, but it's only a matter of time until maybe he gets one wrong. If <laughs> this is how his, his, at least you'd have to admit that it's possible that that could happen if this is how God's foreknowledge works. And so rather than get stuck on the horns of this dilemma, I think that the the way out is actually realizing that 
even though it feels like there's only two options, it's not true. There's actually a third option. And that, that third option would be something called middle knowledge. And this is the view that personally I adhere to. This is a view that I, I'm pretty well versed with because it was a major element of my uh, master's thesis that I did to get my, my uh, graduate degree. And just this whole idea of how does, how will we, uh, how does our free will work with God's sovereignty? Mm-hmm. And the, the specific topic of my thesis was how in the world could we be actually free in heaven and yet never, ever, ever, ever sin. And, and so this idea, it's, it's the same question. It's just sort of kicked down the road a little bit of, well, now we're in heaven. So how does free, do we actually have free will in heaven or, or don't we, and, and why, why or why not? So the idea though, it goes back to the examples that I gave from like first Samuel and I think it's 23, mm-hmm. first Samuel 23 and the men at Kyla, and then a statement that Jesus makes, uh, in, uh, Matthew, I believe, but just uh, about this idea that God seems to know not only what you and I will do, but he seems to know what would have happened if something else had happened other than what had happened, (laughs) which is kind of mind blowing. But it's this idea that God not only knows everything that is, he also knows every possibility. He knows if you and I had gone a different way what would have happened instead. So in this way, and this is kind of heady stuff, but in this way, it reconciles how God can be truly sovereign and how you and I can be truly free at the same time because God not only knows what you and I will do in in actuality, but he knows what we would have freely chosen if circumstances had been different. And so God can... God can get his way regardless of, of whether or not he has to compel our actions. And I, I've asked people this in the past is to say, think, think about it this way. I want you to think about which one of these two scenarios seems more powerful to you. Scenario one is that God is sovereign and what God says must happen and that everything that God once happens and that everything that God says that people need to do or wants people to do happens. So God gets his way because he ensures that everyone does exactly what he wants them to do. Or that uh, even if it doesn't appear like they're doing what he wants them to do, it's still in a way part of his will. So God's will is never thwarted and he always gets his way and he, he and people always really are just doing what God wants them to do. Scenario B or two. I can't remember if I did letters or numbers. It is what it is. Yes. (laughs) In the other scenario, imagine a king who is so sovereign that he lets you and I do whatever we want and he still gets his way. It doesn't matter what we pick. He's still going to get the outcome that he has planned for and that he has always been, been moving toward. And it does not matter what we do. We are completely free. He's still going to win. He's still going to get what he wants. And I think that that is, to me, that is a much more powerful picture of sovereignty. And I think based on these middle knowledge passages, it's actually a more biblical one. Mm -hmm. I think God is so sovereign that he can give his creatures complete 
honest to goodness, true free will. And he's still going to get exactly what he wants Mm -hmm. because he's, he's just that wise Mm -hmm. and he's just that sovereign that it, he wants us to do certain things because it's in our best interest, not because it helps him out. Uh, he, he wants, I mean, he, he sent, Jesus came and died, not for Jesus's benefit, right. <laughs> right? I mean, Paul says he, he left the glories of heaven. He left the greatest place that he could be where he was, he was seen and known and worshiped for who he really was. He left all of that and he, he put on flesh to be treated horribly and rejected and he didn't deserve any of that and he certainly didn't need any of that so why did he do it he did it for us yeah and so when god does stuff it's for our benefit i think not for his own and so yeah i i think there's i think there's a way out here in this idea of middle knowledge and i'll plug this book again it's called the only wise god by william lane craig and it's a, I mean, it's, it's technical, it's not very long, but it is pretty technical, but it's a great overview of this whole idea of middle knowledge and how, how to reconcile sovereignty and free will in a way that not only makes sense logically, but more importantly is I think scriptural because frankly, it can make all the sense in the world to us. If it ain't, if it ain't biblical, who cares? But I think this is both biblical and and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about his omniscience and his uh, omnipotence, you know, you're really looking at the ability through free will to overcome any decision that we could make. And so for me looking at that, you know, one question that I know came up thinking about, again, a past question I had heard was thinking about uh, the passage in the garden when uh, Adam and Eve first sinned and they hide from from God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he calls out, you know, where are you? And I know I've had questions about that myself is, is to, you know, what was the intent behind that question? Oh, because God knew, God knew where they were. Yeah. I I think it's the same. So you bring up, I mean, it's the ultimate, that's a good question about free will and sovereignty too, because like, why would God create a scenario mm-hmm. where Adam and Eve could fall in the first place. Right. right? And again, it, I think it goes back to free will. It's mm-hmm. they, they have to have a choice. If they don't have a choice, then can it really be said that they're, they're, they're choosing to follow God or are they just doing what they have to do? Um, because they, they can't do otherwise. So it sure seems like free will requires the option to do other than what we do. And without that option, we don't actually have free will. Even if we want to be doing what we're doing, we're not free in that choice. That's the philosophical side of it. But to, to answer your question, I think it, it is, it's, it's the same idea of why does God invite us to pray when yeah. scripture tells us that he already knows what we need mm-hmm. and he already knows what we're going to ask him. Yeah. And yet James says that you don't have cause you don't ask, mm-hmm. but God already knows what I need. So why do I have to ask? Right? <laughs> so there seems to be this theme over and over in scripture where God's intent or one of God's intents in creating free creatures is again, it's for our benefit is that God is interested in partnership 
with his creations. And because God is interested in partnership, God God doesn't need us to accomplish his ends, but he chooses to use us because again, it's it's good for us. Yeah. And so by asking Adam and Eve the question, where are you? I think God is, at least one of the things he's doing is he's giving them the opportunity to take the initiative in in repairing the relationship mm-hmm. and in owning what they've done. And of course, we know that they don't. They they play the blame game instead. But God gave them the opportunity to do that. And and it's almost like a a parent. I mean, we're both we're both dads and we I it happens. I don't know if I'd say all the time, but it definitely happens where you're asking your kid a question. You already know the answer, uh-huh. yep. but you're asking them because you want to give them the opportunity to to do the right thing yeah. and to tell you what you already know. I already know what you did to your sister. I'm just asking you because I want to see if you're going to own it, right? I want to see if you're going to cop to it. I want to see this is a character opportunity for you. Yeah. And so that's why I'm asking, you know, and, and I think that there's at least some of that going on in here because God wants partnership but he's willing to do, he's willing to 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 condescend in a way to us in order to to try and and make that partnership happen yeah yeah and no, i think that's a beautiful picture and and really thinking about how god uses his all-knowing all-present purpose in our lives to allow us to partake you know like we talked about free will a lot and you know God's intent for us to be involved freely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a perfect example of God giving us an opportunity to be involved. Prayer is another perfect example. Yeah. Being able to freely participate in this relationship of someone who frankly doesn't need it from us, as you said earlier. Right. Uh, But we get to benefit from it. So I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. it, It really, it really kind of, helps shed light even when you when you think about it from this angle it helps shed light on just the kind of person that god is Mm -hmm. right who who god really is that he would that he would sort of go out of his way to have this kind of relationship with with those who can't possibly offer him anything who can't fill up any need or lack in him he's good so the only reason that that God is in relationship with us is is not really for his benefit. It's for ours. And I think that's, it's just an amazing picture when you think about that in, in light of who God is and how he looks at us and just all that he's done, not, not just from a salvation standpoint, but just from a blessing standpoint. And even from just choosing to create in the first place, if the, you know, when God chose to create again, if if God is not ever caught off guard or surprised, the as God is creating, he knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. because he knows what could happen, mm-hmm. but then he also knows what will happen. Right. So even though I don't think that a fall was inevitable necessarily, God knew whether it is or it isn't is kind of irrelevant because it happened. And But God knew it was going to happen. Right. And he knew that as he's creating he knew that he would also have to redeem his creation. It was all in God's mind right from right from square one. Mm-hmm. And and he chose to create anyway. I think, you, can, you know, when you talked about uh, the story, you know, where 
they're running from Saul's uh, attack. You know, I think Samuel passage in Samuel 23. Yeah, the the Kyla passage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you look at that picture of 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 God giving the perspective of one or two of two outcomes, right, mm-hmm. and having the knowledge of of either or. And you look at, you know, Adam and Eve and he gives them the warning to not eat the fruit. It's kind of that same depiction of there's an outcome one way or the other, you know, and you can look at that as, as part of that, you know, foreknowledge of eating this has an outcome and not eating it has an outcome. Right. Yeah. And you have to think that just by giving Adam and Eve that choice, it sure seems again, if, if free will is real and if we really are responsible for our own free choices, it had to at least be possible. There had to be a possible version of events where Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit. And even though God knew that that's not what was going to happen, he knew that that could have happened and what would have, what would have followed and all that. And man, that sure would have been a different story. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to think about. It's, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about, man, that means God knows what God knows is actually infinitely bigger than what I thought God knew. Yeah. When, when you think about foreknowledge just as God only knows what actually will happen, that's a, that's a drop in the bucket because what will happen if you think about it, I like to visualize this. If you think about all the possibilities and then the possibilities that stem from possibilities, it's almost like this densely woven, branches of this bush or this tree that just keeps branching out further and further and further in every direction. Mm -hmm. And if you take one of those sort of lines or branches and you trace it with a a big red pen, right? That, that one line of events is, is the actual, that's what's actually happening. But God knows that red line for every single person, whoever has lived, is living or will live. And all the rest of the the branching paths as well. I mean, God's knowledge is just, it's staggering. It's like mind-numbingly big. <laughs> and what's even more amazing is then you take all those, all those, you know, life uh, trees for, I just made that <laughs> up, but you take that idea for each person and then you overlay them. And now you have an entire world and a history of an entire human race consisting of all of these and you put them all out there and somehow in his sovereignty they all converge at a single endpoint mm-hmm. <laughs> and he and he he is ensuring that history arrives exactly where he ultimately wants it to no matter what mm-hmm. and it's just it's fascinating i think that really looking deeply into god's omniscience is cause for wonder and awe and worship. I I think like really conceiving of how God actually thinks about these things and, and what God knows should cause us to just, to just be in awe and to just worship him and to just go, wow, I had no idea. I thought I knew I had no idea. And and all of God's attributes can be that way for us once mm-hmm. we really kind of dive deeply into them. So it's it's worthwhile to have these conversations. It's worthwhile to really just slow down and say, I know what the Sunday school answer is to some of these questions, but have I really thought deeply about it before? Have I really taken time to consider what this actually means and to just meditate on certain scriptures and then to allow that to kind of 
be teased out and really to have my mind opened to how big God is. I think if we meditate on the any individual attribute of God long enough, it should be cause for for worship. Yeah, and I think we we touched a lot on omniscience and omnipotence, but we didn't really talk as much about the omnipresence. But in your fruit snacks, I know you talked about how the omnipresence really does tie in a lot with his omniscience, right? And having that knowledge. Uh, but was there anything that you wanted to expand on during that fruit snacks topic of omnipresence that you would like to maybe elaborate on or maybe just recap quickly? Yeah, I think that in light of everything we've just talked about, the biggest the biggest point that I would probably make about omnipresence is is a very practical one. It, it's it's really just this idea that God is God is immediately present at all times uh, with us, and He is He is immediately aware of whatever you're going through right now, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, he's there, he's with you, he knows, he sees. And again, I think just like we were just talking about, I think again, that the doctrine of omnipresence can and should be a cause for worship and, and even just great comfort mm-hmm. for the Christian to know that, like David writes about in the Psalms, that God, you see me, that you're with me, that there's nowhere I can go, there's nowhere I can run, can go to the bottom of the sea, you're going to be there, and go to the top of the highest mountain, you're going to see me. There, there's nowhere that I can run or be where your presence isn't there with me and where you're not aware. And again, whatever you're going through right now, I have no idea what it could be, but I just I feel really compelled to to just say that if you're listening to this and you're going through something it's just really rough. God sees you. He knows that you're there. He's there with you. If you're going through pain, he's there with you in your pain. And it's actually why Jesus came. Jesus Jesus didn't stay at arm's length from the human experience. He lived the human experience. Jesus knows what it is to, to feel pain and to feel loss and to feel betrayal and rejection and hurt and to suffer uh, unjustly, all these things, that Jesus is intimately acquainted with our pain, with our need, and he, he came to save us, but he lived it first. And so, like the writer of Hebrews says, because God has been present with us, he, we don't have an a advocate or a mediator who doesn't know what it's like. Um, he, he knows exactly what it's like. In fact, he may know more what it's like than you or I do (laughs) from a human experience standpoint, which is interesting to think about, but that, yeah, this doctrine of omnipresence, I think is, is just a a great comfort. Uh, I, my, my wife sent me an article today about how the Chinese government is storming into the houses of Christians and, tearing down or removing any crosses, any images of Jesus and anything, Bibles, you name it, and demanding uh, that they worship the Communist Party leaders instead, the the current leader, uh, Mao, I mean, you name it, they're putting these pictures up and saying, this is who you should worship. Don't worship Jesus. You're not allowed to, 
You're not allowed to have crosses. You're not allowed to have Bibles. You're not allowed to to pray or to worship your God anymore. The, these are your gods, these men. And they're actually, for those who refuse, they're removing, um, many, many of these Christians are very, very poor. And they're removing their government uh, welfare. They're removing their uh, medical care, their ability to get food and uh, their food stamps and, and their their government sponsored uh, money that they get on a on a regular basis because of their unwillingness to to compromise and to forsake their faith. And as tough as that is, I was just again thinking in the context of this conversation of just the great comfort for for those folks. Obviously, we need to be praying for them because they they desperately need it and they're part of the body and when the body is hurting the whole body should should be hurting but that god is with them in this that i i know because i know god i know that he is through his spirit he's giving them peace and he's giving them comfort and he is he is preparing them for something so much greater than whatever their circumstances are right now in the life to come and that doesn't mean that we want to speed that along because what's happening to them is not right. It's not okay. And we need to stand up and say that it's not okay. But God is with them in the midst of this. And there is great comfort in that. No matter what you're going through, no matter what we, we are facing, that God is with us. And I think that's a big, big takeaway uh, from, that, from that doctrine. Beautiful and comforting. Thank you. We serve a big God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on the Rooted Podcast, a creation of Rooted Productions and an affiliate of the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. For more information about the podcast or to submit a question or comment, please visit us at rooted.productions. Follow us on Instagram at rooted.productions or email podcast at rooted.productions. That's Rooted.Productions. We hope you'll join us next time.